Good morning again. Uh, for those of you that are joining us online this morning, we're going to be receiving communion together at the end of the message today. So I know you're somewhere near your kitchen, so you can go ahead and grab some elements so that you'll be able to partake with us at the end of the service today. All right, we are finishing our series that we have called State of Grace, just talking about the goodness of God's grace during this last little while. How many of you enjoyed baptisms last week? That was so much fun. That was definitely one of the things that we've missed out on in the last couple of years, being able to just share in and celebrate the faith of our brothers and sisters. Again, we're going to be uh, doing baptism again uh, sometime later this year. So if you have not been water baptized, you can sign up for our uh, next event um, that we will do. So you can just sign up and we will keep you informed of the dates and things that requirements for that. But we would love to baptize you. Um, All right. So as we finish up our series on grace today, as we have talked about um, grace is such a beautiful thing in the scripture, and it is the distinctive of our faith. You can do a little comparing, contrasting, and you can look at different world religions historically. And a lot of times people say, you know, all religions are exactly the same. And that just means they haven't studied them to any extent. And one difference that we see in the scriptures we see with Jesus is this beautiful idea of grace. All of the other world religions look at some sort of opportunities for you and I to do something and maybe achieve something, maybe get to heaven, maybe achieve enlightenment, maybe become a really good person. But grace tells us that none of us are actually able to do that because of sin, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The great, beautiful response that God gives us because he sends Jesus is his grace that he shows up with his love, that Jesus shows up God in the flesh and provides a way for us to have a relationship with God separate from trying to keep all of the laws which no man has ever been able to do except Jesus. Jesus is the sinless lamb of God. And so because of the accomplishments of Jesus, we are able to walk in the grace of God and it just comes to us as a gift. And that's the beautiful thought about grace. The relationship we have with God actually comes by grace. So God's grace is profound. It's this great big idea in scripture. And then it also is very pragmatic for our lives as we are gonna be talking about today. The Greek word uh, for grace, charis, where we get our word charity. Um, We know that gifts, someone who's a charismatic, who believes in the gifts of the spirit, which I would be in that category, the activity of God, how do those gifts function in our lives? They happen by the grace of God. They don't happen because we're amazingly perfect people all of the time. They just happen out of God's goodness, out of God's grace. When we see uh, grace understood in the scriptures, it's in terms of the dynamic expression of the divine personality. Grace is that. God is gracious in action toward us. Aren't you glad for that today? That God is gracious towards us. In other words, you get things that you don't deserve. Through divine initiative, Human alienation from God is turned by him into a state of unmerited acceptance. It's a great way to define grace. Unmerited favor, unmerited acceptance. I didn't do anything of my own to merit God's grace. Just like a child who's born into your family, this beautiful child that we had up here on the stage, these three beautiful children, 
why, why are they receiving the blessings of the family? Well, because they were born into that family. They didn't do anything to deserve it. When you are a child, you were useless. You couldn't help the family. You couldn't do anything to provide your way. But the Father came and gave you grace. And this is the same way we have a relationship with God. It's unmerited. We don't deserve it, so we shouldn't try to merit it. Grace brings blessings, forgiveness, gifts, healings, gifting, wisdom, and strength. We all have been credited with Jesus' righteous record. And how did it come? It came by grace. That the record I have with God has nothing to do with my own goodness. That I and you as followers of Jesus have been given Jesus' righteous record. So when we stand righteous before God, we're standing there, and this is why we pray this way, we're standing there in Jesus, in Jesus' name. So when we pray in Jesus' name, what we're saying is, I'm not coming in my own name. I'm not coming in my own qualifications. I'm coming in the grace that God gives. Paul begins and ends many of his letters with grace and peace to us. Grace helps us to change. It helps us to receive the promises, which we're gonna be talking a little bit about today. Our relationship with God from beginning to end is completely defined by grace. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Everybody say gift of God. So how do we get saved? It's a gift. See, all religion tries to work for this gift. You can't work for it. You can't merit it. God just offers it to us because of what Jesus has done. And this is how we experience salvation. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Now, again, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't do good things, but we shouldn't do good things to pretend that we're receiving God's grace because of the good things we do. God has called us into good works, but we don't do the good works to get saved. We can't measure up. It is only by the grace of God that we are righteous. John chapter one, verse 14 says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out that this this was he of whom I said, he comes after me, ranks before me because he was before me. Verse 16, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The uniqueness of the grace of God is only found in Christ. And it's not just one grace, it's grace upon grace. Grace to experience salvation, grace to live our lives, this, this favor that we experience that we didn't merit, that we don't deserve, God gives it to us. It just shows us the nature of God, how much he loves you and I, that he helps us, that he empowers us, that he forgives us, that he gives us his power, that he heals us, that he strengthens us. All of these things come from God's grace. We mentioned uh, the first week, um, the, the book of Galatians, how this, this group, this region of a few churches that Paul had planted, 
The Judaizers came back in. They tried to send them back to the Old Testament laws, the ceremonial things that they had to do. And Paul had established these churches by preaching them about grace. So he's correcting many things we see in the book of Galatians. And we're also gonna see this in the, as he does this with the Corinthian church. But we see something here about the promises of God, how we experience the promises of God, how we experience the power, the strength of God. Just a great reminder for us. Galatians chapter three, verse one says this. You foolish Galatians. Now you can see they kind of have a, a father, son, father, child relationship. He's kind of, you know, he loves this church and this is why he's calling them fools because they're doing foolish things. And so what is the foolish things that they're doing? Who has bewitched you? In other words, who has changed your mind to foolish things? For before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Now listen, did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? How did we receive the spirit of God? How is it that we have the spirit of God in us? By completing all of the works of the Old Testament or instead of that, believing what we heard. The message of Jesus, Jesus finished work, died on a cross, he rose again. Believing that message is what has the spirit of God indwelling us, not the keeping of the rules, keeping all of the Old Testament laws, because again, then that's your merit. That's the things that you did. And then if you're, if you're receiving the things of God by what you did, it's not coming by grace and it only can come by grace because Jesus brought grace and truth. And then he says this, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by, the means, by means of the flesh? So in other words, we started our relationship with God by just believing what he said, by believing that Jesus came, died, rose again. This is how we start in our relationship with God. But many of us, and it's very easy to do this, after we receive by grace, we revert back to how good we are or how bad we are. And I've said this many times. So we have a good week and we think, I've been so good this week. I've been such a good husband. I've treated my kids good or I haven't spoken to them, so it's been fine. <laughs> and then we think, because of all of that, I can pray today. That's my righteous record. But I don't come to the throne of grace with my righteous record. I come to the throne of grace in Jesus' name. That it's this place that God gives us. And again, what's happening at the throne of grace, it is the throne of forgiveness. So when we mess up, which we do, we'd never not go to God because it's the throne of grace. Because at the throne of grace, he offers us righteousness all over again. He offers us forgiveness. It's what we celebrate and what we're gonna celebrate at the end of the service with communion. We can't start in grace and then switch to works. And then somehow thinking we're amazing. And again, the other the bad side of that equation is when we have a bad week, an overtly bad week, like an obvious bad week, where 
you know, one of those weeks that they could do a documentary about your life and how bad it was. You know, one of those weeks where everything goes wrong and then you did not respond well. And at the end of that week, you're like, I'm not going to pray now because I was such a bad person. No, stop depending on yourself. It is by our faith in the grace of God. Verse four, have you experienced so much in vain? If it was really in vain, well, if it really was in vain. So again, I ask you, I love Paul. When he asks us questions, he's wanting us to think. You should never park your brain when you're a Christian. You need to think. So I ask you, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So Paul takes it up and notches. He's like, hey, God wants to work miracles in your life. Now, do you believe that this morning? Come on, are you with me today? God wants to work miracles in your life. That's exciting news that God the creator can actually create a miracle necessary for, to respond to what's going on in your life. But how are those miracles gonna show up? By you presenting your own righteous record? God, I come to you in the name of Brent. And I just wanna let you know how amazing I am today. <laughs> I treated my, soul, my wife so good yesterday, I, got, I made her coffee in the morning. Miracles, please. It's not how God works miracles. It's not, it's not how they show up in our lives. They only show up by grace. He just gives them to us. That, that we see this thing that believing what you heard. See, the way into the grace is by faith that I am trusting. I'm putting my trust in him. Faith is not works, it's trust, it's reliance in the grace of God. I, God, I'm relying on how good you are because life is really hard sometimes. But I'm relying on how good you are and how loving you are. We're gonna read about some of Paul's experiences as he was planning churches and doing a bunch of things and I would dare say the things that Paul went through. The stuff that we go through does not compare to the stuff that Paul went through. But this beautiful thing, man, I'm just gonna believe. I'm gonna put my trust in. I'm not gonna try to work for miracles. I'm just gonna put my faith in God. And then verse six says this, so also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So here this mention of Abraham, that Abraham, so it's kind of always been this way, even though the children of Israel moved to trying to do works, it has always been by putting our trust in God, the mention of Abraham. So Romans chapter four gives us a great explanation of some of the things that Abraham went through and how he responded by faith. Romans chapter four, verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring is that he would be the heir of the world and not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So God called Abraham and he said that he wanted to bless him and make him a great nation and all of the nations of the world would be blessed through Abraham. So how was this thing gonna happen? Well, it was gonna happen 
He's going to be the heir of all of this, not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Right standing with God comes through putting my trust in God. No other way. Verse 14 says this, for if the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. So there's no way for us to attain the promises of God through the works of our flesh. It's not an option for us. It's only coming by grace. Verse 15, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Now, what is, what is Paul describing by this? So we come short of the glory of God. We come short of keeping the law. And so once again, we've talked about the wrath of God. This makes God angry. Not that he wants to destroy us. The reason sin makes God angry is because he loves you. And when you sin, you mess up your life. Makes him angry. And then sometimes you sin and you mess up other people's lives. It makes him angry. But listen, for the law brings wrath, but there was no law. There is no transgression. In other words, there's forgiveness. And where is that place? It's the place of grace. How, how do we exist in a place where there is no sin, transgression? That's what it means. How are we able to do that? It's certainly not in our flesh. It's only by the grace of God. That place, the state of grace that we live in only comes by us putting our faith in God. Now listen, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. What does the promise rest on? It rests on grace. It's the seat of the miracles. What is the seed? What is, what is uh, the promises that God has made us in all these areas? And we're going to read a few here in a second. What is it resting on? It's, let's say this is a promise and it's resting on something. What is it? What is this? It's grace. It isn't how good you are. Now, when I say this, don't be an idiot. I'm not telling you to sin. That's not what I'm saying. But you don't come to God on the activity of your own works. It never rests on God, look how good I am. And then God serves up a promise on your good activity. It's only the grace. It is only coming by a gift. And then by faith, by putting our trust, we receive this promise that's resting on grace. Can you see how the promise is void if we try to act on how good you are? I kept the law. There's no promises resting on how good you are. It's only resting on grace. Amen. This is why it depends on faith. So how do we receive that? We're just trusting God for those things. And be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also the one who shares in the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gave life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Now listen, what did Abraham do? Verse 18, in hope, he believed against hope. In other words, there was no reason... When he was that old and Sarah was that old for them to believe they were going to have a child together. In hope, he believed against hope 
that he should become the father of many nations, as he was, had been told. This was the promise of God. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's room. Now, my parents aren't here in this service. They'll be here in the second service. But you don't look at my parents. My dad is actually turning 84 this week. My mom is 82. I love my parents. They're amazing. But you're not looking at them and saying a baby's coming nine months from now. (laughs) It's just not something you're doing. Right? And, And so what... But for Abraham, Abraham had a specific promise for, for the, these things to be fulfilled. My parents don't. I'm not babysitting and my parents have a miracle child. <laughs> what did Abraham do when he realized I'm 100 and Sarah's 90? Says he didn't weaken in faith. And this is what happens to us sometimes. We get in the middle of situations and we look at it and we stare at it. And what happens? We're like, man, it's too far gone. It's too hard, it's too difficult. Paul wrote to the Galatian church. He said, how are you gonna, how do you experience miracles? It's not by the keeping of the law, but it has to do with the grace of God. That I'm not gonna have my faith lessened just because of circumstances. Listen, verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Why? Because the promises of God rest on grace. So I'm not going to get weak as I look at the promises of God because they don't rest on my goodness or yours. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why faith was counted to him as righteousness, but the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So the promise that we see that God made to Abraham and Sarah, the same idea of that specific promise extends to all of the promises in scripture. How did they come? How do the promises show up in our lives? How do these miracles show up in our lives? They come because they rest on grace. So as we think about the promises of God here this morning, what we don't want to do is we don't wanna stare at our circumstances. Because the circumstances will talk to you and they will tell you to give up. Too hard, too far gone. It's over. Why bother? Because of this and this and this. But that's looking at the wrong thing. We need to think about the grace of God. The huge, magnanimous grace of God. Here are some of the promises. Psalm 103 verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Do you know that there's benefits to being in the family of God? Did you know that this morning? Amen. Let's read a few of them. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, 
who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Some specific things there. Forgiveness, healing, and then I love this one because it's very broad-based. Who redeems your life from the pit. If you feel like you're in the pits today, if you feel like your life is just stuck, God redeems us. And how, how, do these, how, how do these promises show up in our lives? They rest on the grace of God. Quit consulting your righteous record. You don't have one. Think about the righteous record that you have in Jesus. And we come to the throne of grace in Jesus' name. Amen. So all of these promises, listen, all of these promises that we just read actually show up in the midst of difficulty. When we feel condemned by sins that we've committed, when we're facing sickness and disease, when we're in the pit, that's when we need the promises. See, all of these things that I just described, God is not making you sick and forcing you to sin and sending your life into a pit. All of these things happen because we live in a broken world and there is an enemy of your life and he's wanting to destroy you, but God shows up with his promises and they rest on grace. Amen. So let's read a little bit of the stuff that the Apostle Paul went through before we received communion today. Now, Paul, again, was writing to the Corinthian church. He planted this church and then some false teachers came in. So he was going through what was their authority and then what was his authority. And his authority had to do with all of the struggles that he was going through to plant churches. Now, again, God was not causing these things as we're gonna see specifically in the scripture, but all of these things were happening because he had opposition everywhere he went because he was planting churches and no one had ever heard the gospel before. So we could read about it here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It says this, for you bear it if someone makes a slave of you, talking now about these false teachers, or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. So these false teachers were not nice people, Right? What were they doing? They were putting on airs. We're better than everybody. And then they were getting slapped. Not a good thing. Just ask Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Um, <laughs> verse 21, to my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? Now, again, Paul is comparing himself to these false teachers. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Listen to what Paul says. I am a better one. And then he says this, I am talking like a madman. So in other words, he's, he's talking about their claim to authority, which was all of this domineering craziness. And now he's going to talk about his claims with countless beatings, often near death. Wait a minute, Paul. What, I'm, I'm going through all of these difficulties and these struggles? How could this be your claim to authority for the church? Not some sort of domineering leadership style, 
But what is the reality is, hey, we're just all gonna go through stuff in this broken world. Now let's, he's just gonna list a bunch of things. Verse 24, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Think about that, friends. Five different occasions he received 39 lashes at the hands of the Jews, like his family. And he kept going. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. He kept planting churches. How many of you would have made it past the first 39 whippings? We're gonna keep on going, God. That's just the beginning. Three times I was beaten with rods. Not a good thing. Once I was stoned, rocks thrown at him. That's what that means. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. A whole 24-hour period plus either floating on something or treading water. How many know that's a few hours to think? Consider your life choices. You know, maybe I'll just retire. I'll quit this whole church planning thing. Find somewhere in the countryside. Verse 26, on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people. Has anyone experienced dangers from your own people? Dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, danger at sea, dangers from false brothers. That's everywhere. And then false brothers, people that you thought were your people. And they're not your people anymore. Now, we're not done. So Paul went through a few things, right? Toil, hardship, through many sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from all these things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fall? Am I not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Now, again, what is Paul doing? These false teachers, the domineering leadership, slapping people, controlling people's lives. Paul's like, I want you to understand my leadership from my weakness. And what is he saying? That he's not skilled? Because no, he's definitely skilled. Very smart, very intelligent, very educated, has gifts. But he's, he's emphasizing here his weakness. Why is Paul emphasizing his weakness? Let's keep reading. Verse 31, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us forever knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under the king Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. So he has people in power who are trying to get him. But I was let down in a basket through a window and a wall and escaped his hands. We're going to skip over now to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Previous to this, Paul talks about this vision that he had. And then he talks specifically about all of these things that happened to him. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given to me in my flesh. Everybody say this next line with me. A messenger of Satan. 
So the things that were tormenting Paul didn't come from God. This thorn in the flesh, which is a metaphorical statement, Paul didn't have an actual thorn that he walked through in a bush and he got stuck in there that he didn't pull out. That's not what he's talking about. This is a metaphorical statement about just an irritant in your side. The, the scripture, the meaning here is like blow after blow and life can feel like that, right? Blow after blow. And this is what the enemy wants to do in our lives Blow after blow. Didn't come from God, friends. This thorn in his flesh, this opposition that he felt everywhere he went as he was planting churches and he was preaching the gospel came from the enemy. They said, to harass me. Do you ever feel harassed in life? Come on now. Life can harass us. And what does it do? just makes us feel weak sometimes. Makes us feel like we can't measure up. Makes us feel like we're not good enough. Makes us feel like we're not strong enough. Listen, Paul continues, verse eight. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, it what? This thorn, this irritant, that everywhere he went, that he would face opposition. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, some people say, and it's not true, God said no. God didn't say no to this prayer. But what did he say? What are the first two words that when he sought God for all of the stuff that he was going through, what did he say? What was his response? My grace. His unmerited favor his goodness, his power, his forgiveness, his miracle working power, his healing power. God's response to the things that we're going through are his grace. And what sits on his grace? What's this? These are his promises. My grace is sufficient for you, not your own righteous record, you don't have one, but it is his grace. See this again, I, 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 I'm gonna say this again. I feel like I say it a lot, but I talk to people, so I'm gonna say it again. People go through stuff and then they's like, why? I'm a good person. I don't deserve this, blah, blah, blah. And they try to figure out some sort of math for the bad things that are going on in their lives. But it is, we live in this broken world. These bad things are not coming from God. They're a messenger of the enemy to harass you. And what do we come to God and ask, what does he say? My grace is sufficient for you. His power. His promises, His forgiveness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is why Paul is talking about his weakness. Because there, these other false teachers, they're depending on their ability to intimidate people and domineer people. And Paul is like, hey, listen, without the grace of God, I have nothing. This is what I say to you today, friends. 
without the grace of God, I am nothing. Because God says what? For my power, God's response, my power is made perfect in weakness. His grace and his power in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the real life stuff, my grace is sufficient. In other words, it's enough. And it's not just enough, it's more than enough. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. When I realize the insufficiency of my flesh to keep the law, which I can't do, and I am weak in that, you are weak in that. But when we realize it, when we realize, when we're honest with ourselves about the weakness of our own flesh, that is the place where the power of God can show up in our lives. When we just humble ourselves and we say, God, without you, I am nothing. God, without you, I can do nothing. God, without you, I can't face this. But the good news is we don't have to. His response is my grace is there. My power is there. His grace is here right now. His power is here right now. Amen. Let's receive communion together this morning. The elements are there in the seat in front of you. Unless you're in the front row, they're by the leg of your chair. If you are visiting with us this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, we invite you to receive communion with us today. Maybe you're new to church and you don't understand what this is about. Don't feel any pressure this morning. Just the instructions again, that top cellophane piece has the wafer. You can open that up, take it out. Luke 22, 19, Jesus at the last supper with his disciples. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So when we hold this wafer today, what are we, what are we supposed to do? Because I know this can be really religious thing. It can lose all its power and meaning if you've been in church a while. But what we're supposed to remember how good God is because of Jesus. That God has given us his own, the Jesus, Jesus righteous record today. So we can stand righteous today. And this wafer reminds us that Jesus' body was broken. The scripture tells us in Isaiah 53, that by his stripes, we are healed. Stripes just means that he had cuts on his back and the blood came through. And Jesus' body was broken. He was our substitute so we can receive healing. And God wants us to receive healing spirit, soul, and body. If you're facing any sickness and disease in your body today, we're supposed to remember that Jesus is a healer. You have a broken heart today. If you went through some of these things that the apostle Paul went through, with some like false brothers and sisters. Man, that can hurt really bad. But you know, God can heal human hearts today.
So let's just pray. God, we thank you for Jesus this morning. We thank you, Lord, that by your stripes, we are healed. So we just remind ourselves today of your goodness and your love and your power, your miracle working healing power. And we just say, Lord, from the top of our head to the soles of our feet, we receive your power today, that your power is bigger than any sickness and disease that we can face. God, your power heals broken hearts this morning. We thank you for that, Lord. We open ourselves wide to you today. We don't come with our own good record. We come in Jesus' name. We come to the throne of grace to receive what you've given to us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your promises today that they rest on your grace. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's eat together. You can open the bottom portion. Just hold it here for a second. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. We're supposed to do this to remember that Jesus has provided the way to God. Our righteousness doesn't. So that means there's forgiveness for us. Scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So we're not depending on our righteousness today. We're thankful for the forgiveness of God. So let's just pray today. God, we thank you that we can be in your presence righteous today. We thank you, Lord, for forgiveness of sins. We thank you, Lord, that you are washing away our past that you make us clean because of the blood of Jesus. God, we thank you that we can stand on Jesus' righteous record today to be in your presence. We just love you so much and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's eat together, drink together.
Hey, if you are here this morning and you feel like today, you know what, God isn't really my father. You've never made Jesus the Lord of your life today. The gospel, the good news, which is called the gospel of grace, is all about Jesus, that he came, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, God raised him from the dead. And because of all of that, God offers us the free gift of salvation and all we have to do is say yes. So if you're here this morning and you have never done that, I invite you to pray along with me this morning. We're all gonna pray something out loud here in a few seconds. We all need a starting place with God. Or maybe you're here this morning and you feel like, you know what, I used to be close to God, but I've wandered away from God. Something happened in my past. You know, God is not mad at you. God invites you close to himself again. You pray this prayer with us as well. So church, let's all bow our heads and close our eyes and let's pray this prayer out loud together. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross and you raised him from the dead so I could know you. So I received the gift of salvation today. God, I call you my father. Jesus, I call you my Lord. God, I purpose to follow after your ways. I turn from my own. I thank you for salvation today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's congratulate those that might be doing that for the first time today. Hey, if that is you this morning, uh, we would love to know about that decision that you made. There's a connect card in the seat pocket in front of you. We just ask you to take that card, fill it out. And if you turn it into the info desk in the lobby, one of our team members actually have some materials that they would love to put into your hand free of charge that will help you on your journey of faith. This is just a one-time moment, but Jesus has called us to be disciples. In other words, lifelong learners. And that's what we're doing every week here at the City Church. We're moving closer to Jesus every week. Or if you are rededicating your life, same thing. Same thing online. If you would email us at info at thecitychurch.ca, we would love to get those same materials into your hand. Well, uh, thanks for coming to church today. Let me just remind you of a couple announcements before we were dismissed this morning. Um, If you wanna be part of our city team, if this is your church family, we would love to have you part of our team uh, serving in many different areas here in the church. Uh, You could sign up at the info desk for that. Same thing online. There's a place for you on our website to join the city team. And then also to reminder, if you would like to be part of our internship program this summer here at the church, uh, the registration deadline is in a few days, 27th. Thursday, I think it is. Um, and just, I just wanna make mention, we've already received more applications that we have intern positions. That means that some people that applied won't be to be able to be part of our internship. Now, I just wanna say, that doesn't mean that we don't love you. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. So don't get your feelings hurt, but we want you to apply to be part of our internship. We're gonna have a great summer. Uh, does that make sense? Everybody, you know, some the church is rejecting me. No, we're not rejecting you. We still love you, want you to be part of our church family. But if you would like to be part of our internship, there's a spot on our website uh, for you to apply for one of those summer jobs. Let's all stand up together today. Thank you for coming to church this morning. You are dismissed. Have a great rest of your long weekend.